Facebook famously determined that if a new member invited 10 friends within 14 days, they were hooked for life. So they focused religiously on driving the user experience to this key metric. If you apply this product-based approach to B2B sales, then you can identify those users that are ready to talk. And this method is known as the Product Qualified Lead, or PQL. So if you sell in a freemium, open source, or trial model, then the PQL method is critical to give your sales team visibility into who is ready to talk. So talk to your data team, or better yet, partner with Whaler's team of data scientists to develop a PQL model tailored specifically for your business. You'll be empowered by knowing exactly when a user is ready to convert. To see specific examples, go to getwhaler.com forward slash Andy. That's G-E-T-W-H-A-L-R dot com forward slash Andy. And as a bonus, if you sign up to learn more about Whaler and PQLs, then Whaler will send you their optimized two-page master services contract that you can leverage for your own business free of charge. It's time to accelerate. Hi, this is Andy. Welcome to another edition of Frontline Friday with my regular and very special guest, Bridget Gleason. Now, before we get to the show, Bridget and I have a favorite ask of you. Really appreciate it. If you took time right now to leave a review for this show on iTunes, and while you're there, click the button, subscribe to Accelerate. Make sure you get Frontline Friday automatically each week. Also, we need to hear from you. More specifically, we need your sales questions. I mean, what can we answer for you? What challenges do you have that we can help you with? So go to accelerate.fm forward slash frontline and enter your question there. Each month, we're going to select one listener's question to be the question of the month. And the winner will receive a $50 Amazon gift card. So remember, go to accelerate.fm forward slash frontline to give us your question and maybe win 50 bucks. So Bridget, how are you today? Andy Paul. I'm yes. doing great. You're so formal today. I'm doing great. So yes, formal. Bridget Gleason, Andy Paul. I know. I know. I like to throw that in there and throw you off periodically. Well, that was, yeah, usually. Did I throw you off? No, well, it evoked memories of my mother. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay, then I need to stop doing that. <laughs> when the first and last name both came out, that uh, was usually not a good. That's not right. A, that's not, right. Okay, that's a, a good point. Not, not a good, good sign. Good point. Good point. So, but, you know, I don't confuse you with my mother. So, that's good. Okay. Thank God. All right. Well, man, she was, she was nice. Bright red hair, though. You don't see you don't have the bright red hair. I don't have the bright. I don't. I definitely don't have the bright red hair. Yeah. Yeah. She was, you know, she was, she, you know, in a different generation, she probably wasn't great in sales. I mean, she really? was. Oh, yeah. She was, she was tough. I mean, she was a really smart person in the family. I mean, it was like. Yeah, she was sort of post-war generation, World War II generation, you know, sort mm. of stay-at-home mom. Um, but you never found her without a book in her hands. I love that about her. Yeah. I mean, she was, just, she was the reader. She read constantly. And, you know, it's all, for the most part, fiction. But, you know, she read, you know, the popular fiction of the day. And, but, yeah, kept abreast of what's happening in the news and so on. But she was, yeah. Always reading, constantly reading. God, both of my parents were the same way. My father's passed away, but my mother um, is still the same way. Just constant readers. And I will have to say that the apple doesn't fall too far from that tree. I am often (laughs) accused by my sons that I've always got my nose in a book or a Kindle as, uh, as it would be today. 
Yeah, well, I mean, me too. Yeah, it's almost never a book, but <laughs> it is on my my iPad. Yeah, so I just think, and I'm sure we've talked about this, but I mean, what a luxury these days to be able to travel with all your books on a device, single device, mm. as opposed to the days when. I mean, when I was traveling internationally on business and I'd be leaving on, you know, a two-week trip to Asia or, you know, someplace else, some exotic location as I was tending to go, is is like, how many paperbacks can I fit into my briefcase? Because, you know, I, I could go through two on a 12-hour flight and uh, because, you know, my battery on my laptop would drain pretty quickly and then what are you going to do? I, I am exactly the same way. I remember going on these long trips. I would go maybe on vacation and I would go for two, three weeks at a time. And that was a lot of books that I would bring. Minimum five, six, seven books. I always had a bag of just books. So to be able to have my little lightweight Kindle, I'm I'm such a fan. I'm so grateful. I mean, even back then, I could never understand people who'd get on overseas flights and with nothing. And they would just sit there. <laughs> and it's like, that's what you're going to do for the next 12 hours? I mean, I know, I know. But you know what? I read something about that. Maybe they're figuring out. Yeah, I read something about that once, Andy. Yeah. Actually, I, I actually, I think that's harder to just have the quiet mind and use that as just the quiet mind for that long. It's like an extended meditation. I think it's really impressive. I couldn't do it. But I don't think it's so much as just being wasted idle time. I, I'll have to dig up where I read something about that, about somebody that intentionally used long overseas flights as a time to just quiet the mind. I think it's hard. Well, yeah. So I have a different perspective. I have a different perspective <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah. yeah. I don't think, yeah. I don't mind some introspection. I'm not sure I want to be alone with myself quite that long. <laughs> yeah, but would you like to do like a week-long silent retreat? I don't, Apparently not. Yeah, I don't think so. Would you? Oh, I sometimes think about it like it would be really good for me. But nah, no. I, can hardly, I can't meditate now. So I don't know. Uh, my very good friend at one point when I said, we should do a silent retreat. She's like, you can't meditate. What do you think about doing a silent retreat? <laughs> what do you think it's who all about? You, who are you kidding? Yeah. So I like to do that occasionally. It's just, you know, deceive myself as best yeah. I can. All right. Well, we'll have to get you signed up. I had a friend who did uh, did this, I think, in Japan. You know, visited a series of, of monasteries, and at each one there was some, you know, part of the thing was, you know, depending on the, the specific monasteries, you know, silent time. I aspire to it. Okay. What's well, good? I aspire. It's good to have, it's good to have I goals. Aspire. I know. Yeah. I aspire. All right. So, hey, today. Yes. We're going to talk. I can't wait. A, can't wait. Oh, good. We're going to talk about a uh, question from a listener who okay. submitted. And the question comes from Jason. And Jason says, or asks, he says, what, what is the single best action you would tell a new entrepreneur to take when selling to a seasoned client base. And he says, for context, he's a business intelligence analyst and he's selling customized data visualization reports to business clients who are struggling to understand their data. He uses Tableau and a host of other 
technology to visualize and produce models so the customers can see what their what story their data is telling them. And Jason says he's new to the entrepreneurship game. Most of his target market is uh, seasoned business people that probably know more than he does in many ways, which, hey, Jason, that's always the case in sales. And um, however, he says there's a true need for understanding data better, and he believes he can help with his service. So advice for Jason. <laughs> to take some sales classes, <laughs> I think. And I'm not saying that to be sarcastic or snarky at all. Um, because I think, like you said, this is, it's not about knowing more than the seasoned uh, prospect who he's talking to. But it's really about understanding, as you know, what are their pains, what are their challenges, what are their aspirations, and helping them. It, actually, it's it's a discovery is, is the tool that he's selling, something that can be helpful. And how do you guide somebody through that, um, guide, guide them through that discussion mm-hmm. skillfully? So, it, but it's not all about just, I've got data, you know data, let me give you the data. I think if he just tries to spurt out uh, just all the features functions of what his product can do he's gonna he's gonna be frustrated yeah well, i think i right so let's i think we look at it at several different levels one is you know he's new to being in business for himself and so one of the things he needs to do is you know segment his market who do, who is it that he wants to sell to who is this ideal client profile for him and it sort of plays on this idea of, of the seasoned client. And I think that, Jason, what I would recommend is, is that those are really the people you want to sell to. You know, those who are more successful. Those who, yeah, have that experience. Because it's always been my experience in selling my coaching and consulting services and so on that you know, my most successful engagements have been with the most successful people. Because they appreciate the value of, of a different perspective. They appreciate the perspective of having to learn new things that they can apply to their own business. You know, they're, they're more open. You know, it's sort of, to me, one of the hallmarks of all the successful people I've known and worked with in my career is they're constantly learning. And they constantly want to know what else they can learn to help them in their own business. So I think step one is, yeah, is define who it is you're going to be selling to is how do you define that? terms of either by business type, business size, but do your research and see, you know, who are those those prospective clients that are really knocking it out of the park. And even though it may sound counterintuitive, start there because they're going to be most likely open to buying what you're selling. Yeah, I, I'm I'm thinking about his Jason. I should say Jason. As you listen to this, your question: the single best action, the single best action. Mm-hmm. And so, Andy, yours this idea of segmenting and really having a good understanding of who you're selling to, I think is a good, I would agree that that's a really good first action because it's going to be really hard to sell to some, to someone who isn't a good fit for your product or service, Mm -hmm. you know, who's just not naturally a good fit. So that's going to be much, much harder. So having a very clearly identified target Customer profile. And I agree, a seasoned client, somebody who 
already you're not having to educate them because that's a whole other process and that can take a lot longer. Um, but somebody who already knows and understands what the benefits potentially are of something that uh, you would be offering, I think is a good is a good place to start. Just making sure you understand really clearly. I think a new entrepreneur, it's it's hard to get that right like understanding the target customer profile. And I've seen that change for mm-hmm. entrepreneurs that they think it's one thing. And it's only after a series of uh, discovery calls and questions that they identify that actually the target is target profiles different than they thought. Yeah. Well, I think it's always the the challenge for people that are new to what I call it the consulting business is to really identify the sweet spot for their services. And it's sort of a little bit of hit or miss. I mean, you can can do you know discovery work, but I find is that you know, most people don't don't do enough of that sort of analysis ahead of time when they're hanging up their own shingle. And you know, I just have this this bias that, that oftentimes as I said it's sort of counterintuitive to a lot of people that are getting into the business. They think they need to help struggling companies and what you want to really you can build a better business out of helping companies that are more successful become even more successful. Yeah, and and I guess I was just a little confused on seasoned client. Yeah, well, I, I'm short of asking Jason that. I think that, that you know, I took that to mean, well, I put my own meaning on it, which was... Yeah, yeah, which is what? That's okay. Yeah, it's, yeah experienced, uh, successful. Yeah, right, successful is, and what's the definition of success? Successful is... You know, hey, they're not—they're not in trouble, right? They're either business is going well, it's going moderately well. I mean, even people that are very successful in their companies are you know, sometimes the harshest critics, right? They—they they see the opportunities to do even better, and that's what makes them good prospects. I think another avenue that sort of occurred to me is as I was going through Jason's question as well. He says it uses Tableau, and it, it is a pretty easy to use in the relative scheme of things technology to implement i've had several clients that have used it but i gotta imagine there's a marketplace for um tableau users who you know maybe haven't gone through the learning curve yet and really need someone to come in and help set them up in terms of you know creating the the reports that they need uh, to have on a routine basis or understand how to create a custom report and maybe partnering with with Tableau, and yeah, maybe they have a partner program. I don't know, but where they could refer potential opportunities for you to go in and, and help some of their clients, that could be an avenue as well. Yeah, it, I was at a uh, conference that Insight Squared actually had here, a user conference in Boston a couple of weeks ago, and they had somebody from the Craft Group, and the Craft Group or company owns uh, the Patriots. And so somebody from the big data group that looks, I I know, don't do that. Because I'm now big, 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 big Patriots fan. Oh, you are? Yeah, here I am. I'm in Boston. Yes. And when I'm in San Francisco, I know, but when I'm here, I'm a Patriots fan too. It's fun. Gosh, okay, as a segment, it's fun. Boston, we really love our teams. See, it's even we, 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 we. Um. But I'm fickle. Patriots, 49ers. Anyway, she was talking. She's in their Warriors big Warriors versus group. Celtics. 
Oh, I feel the same way about both of them. Love them both. I know it's oh terrible. I should gosh. have to pick one, but I'm, I'm yeah, not. Really? I don't believe Where in the tyranny of or. I don't believe in the tyranny of or. Okay. I think I think I can love more than one. I have two children. I love both of them. Okay. Can I get back to my answer? Oh sure. Okay. Um. Anyway, the woman from the craft group, big data, and the craft group now provides as a service these sort of like a tableau for sports teams to look at the different data and uh, fans that come and merchandise mm-hmm, and ticketing mm-hmm, and all mm-hmm. of this. And to your point here, one of the questions that I had for her was, I mean, I think this is all interesting, but I would imagine that more important than the tool itself is somebody helping ask. You've got to be able to ask the right questions. I don't always know the right questions to ask. And then how do I interpret and look at the data and the answers? So, I mean, I find that in sales. We've got tons of data now. How do I make sure that that my sales operations team, my executive team, myself, that we're asking the right questions of the data and that we are then analyzing the data so that we've got actionable items as a result. So I think your point with this too is a great one, a great place to go and start and to help um, help around the data because Tableau is an amazing tool, but having somebody who really understands data would, could be super, super helpful. Yeah, well, I think that that is... You know, part of what Jason was talking about, I think it's it's, but maybe taking it a, a different level. He talked about you know visualize and produce their models, but yeah, one of the key things that, that you brought up, which is you know, a huge thing with me, is that yeah, we have all this data, but we really don't know what it means, right? We we yeah, we've talked about the on you and I have talked about this before. Is you know we tend to use data on a somewhat superficial level. You know, we tend to, because our confirmation biases kick in, we tend to use the data to confirm what we, we already believe to be the case. Whereas data should really be about, it should be stimulating the questions as you talked about, right? And yeah. so data should tell us what questions to ask. And so I think another avenue for Jason is with clients, uh, especially those that, that are, you know, have big CRM implementations or have you know, other technology they're using that generate a ton of data about their business that if understood properly, it would be really valuable business intelligence, is, yeah, helping people really understand the questions they should be asking of the data is, is I think, another sort of avenue and way to sort of position what you're doing because mm-hmm. right now for a lot of companies, it's just like, yeah, we've got all this data and you know, are we defaulting to our standard reports, <laughs> for instance? And a lot of companies do that. Because this whole idea of, of interrogating the data and coming up with custom reports that really fit what they do is, is somewhat intimidating, especially for you know small mid-sized entities that, that don't have resources, a ton of resources, could be a valuable place for Jason to go. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and I would say, too, to not be intimidated by your, your prospect or customer knowing more than you do. And as you said at the beginning of this, it's often the case. Well, yeah. I mean, as much as as I know about my customers' business, I don't know as much as they know, right? I mean, it's it's just by definition they're going to know more than I do. Mm-hmm. 
So, and that's fine. But because I'm there with the the idea of I want to learn. You know, if if you're there just saying I'm there to sell, which you know, I take it from Jason your question, you're a pretty thoughtful person is yeah, ask the great questions and shut up and listen and they're going to they're going to steer you toward the solution. Yeah, and I I remember somebody telling me long ago that the person who controls the conversation is the one asking the questions, which makes a lot of sense. And so, as we've been talking about, knowing the questions to ask that are going to help to uncover if this is a good fit is a huge service also that you can provide, even for a seasoned client, is to help them get a better understanding, help them think about their business differently than they've been thinking about it. Help them um, it just look at it differently and and, and try to have a different uh, sort of relationship, perhaps with maybe the data that they've been looking at. I think is a great is a great service. Yeah, well, to that end, if 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 Jason's been working with let's say companies in a specific industry, and through his work has you know uncovered data that leads to questions that are questions that really managers should know the answers to, then, you know, asking those questions of prospects that they should know the answer to, but don't becomes a great, a great way to start a conversation and to start building a relationship because you sort of establish your bona fides, your, your credentials, uh, right off the bat, because you've asked a question what you know, has some insights contained in it. That they really think they should know, and and the fact that you know it, pretty impressive to them. Yeah, definitely. It's a great question, Jason. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Come back and ask some more. Um, That's right. So, so Jason, yeah. If you have a follow up, you know how to to reach us, and yeah, people listening to the show that we have actually two ways to submit questions. First one is you can go to my website, andypaul.com, on the lower right hand side of the home page there's a red button click on that button you can speak your question to us and um, we will play that on the air so just identify yourself and your question and we'll play that question on the air and we will answer it or alternatively you can do as jason did you can just uh, email it to us and the best address uh, right now is andy at andypaul.com and we'll get that and bring that on the air. And as I said, each week we're going to choose one question to answer. And um, though we may choose more than one in some cases, but the one's going to be the winner as the best question, as Jason says this week. And as a result, uh, the winner gets a half hour free coaching session for me, which is uh, worth That's 200, great. 250 bucks for half hour. That's fantastic. It's fantastic. So uh, Jason. Have fun with that. Jason, be prepared. Have lots of questions. Know what you want to get out of them in advance of that half hour. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, congratulations, Jason. And we'll be in touch about setting up the, the call. So, all right. Um, I do want to mention about our sponsor. For those of you who are paying attention at the beginning of the show, you know that our Frontline Fridays are brought to us by our friends at Whaler. That's W-H-A-L-R, no E. And Whaler's platform leverages the product-qualified lead methodology, which you really should learn about because it help you inform when, form you when prospects are ready to talk based on how they use your product. So if you're offering free demos or, or trials or so on, um, yeah, Whaler will help you 
get some real intelligence about when the customer's ready to move forward in the process and buy your product. So you can partner with Whaler's data science team to build a white box behavior model for your specific business and go to www.getwhaler.com forward slash Andy. That's me. Um, again, that's getwhaler.com forward slash Andy and uh, investigate it. So you talked about books earlier, Bridget. Any new books on your list that you've read recently? Well, I just finished uh, Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink. Another Do you Jocko. know that one? No, I don't. Another Jocko uh, Navy SEAL. Um, really, really great book. It's one of the books that uh, my colleague here, the VP of Customer Success, Boaz, gives to everybody on his team. And as the title suggests, this concept of extreme ownership and taking responsibility for just all the way up and down the chain, the things you do. Um, in Jocko's case, he was he's in, in the military, but also lots of principles for uh, leadership and business. And I think uh, Jocko now does a lot of consulting for Fortune 500 companies on leadership. So I really, really recommend the book. I enjoyed it just a ton. I, I listened to it on this one on Audible, and uh, Jocko reads it himself with uh, one of his colleagues, Leif Babin. It's a really, really great book. Okay. Very interesting. What about you? What about you? Well, yeah, I was just going through my list of those that I've read. Because you've always got a bunch of them. Read recently. One that was a fantastic book that I'd read, and I don't think we'd talked about it yet, was a book called Blind Spot. Ah. And the subtitle... Blind Spot, okay. Blind Spot. Hidden Biases of Good People. And written by, uh, I believe the researchers are and authors are both out of uh, Harvard. And um, yeah, I was reading it because they, they talk about this idea of, of you know, how our hidden biases affect how we hear and communicate with other people, which obviously is very important in sales. And I've mentioned many times on the show is is that you know the need to be able to ask great questions and listen without judgment, listen without filters to the answer you get. And gave the example of you know physicians, for instance. You know there are mm. I think I identified like twenty two known biases or filters they have to work through mm. in order to accurately hear what the and authentically hear what the patients are saying in the examining room. But you know it's it's also true in sales. And so, what they've done is they've they've developed this uh, sort of demonstrate their thesis. They developed this very simple test called a implicit assumption test, mm. and you can find these online. Or uh, excuse me, implicit association test. Excuse me, mm. and um, you can find them online and take them. And they're for a range of topics, but it you know it just shows you that. And the authors talk about this in the book is is they were sort of shocked when they took these tests themselves that it showed that they had some you know minor preferences that were in essence sort of biases or filters that they were unaware they had that they you know, didn't expect that they had and you know no matter how egalitarian you might be we all have these these preferences but the preferences inform how we how we hear they inform how we communicate with people 
the book is is really does a great job sort of explaining how that all works and uh, something I think for those of us in sales, and I'm going to be doing some writing about it in the sales context, is, is are really important. I love it. I'm looking forward to reading it. Sounds great. And I know I have biases. Well, I know we all that. Do. I mean, and, uh, and there's I know. degrees, but but they all do. But again, the thing that I think is important for us to keep in mind is that it not only it impacts how we hear what people say to us, mm. it impacts how we say things to people, and we're just not we're just not conscious of it. Fascinating. That sounds like a great one. Yeah, I mean, there's that. That's a very interesting book. Um, you read an, another one that's for a new book coming out that was quite interesting. Was um, it should be released? I think by the time this episode comes out, if not, it'll be a little bit after it. But uh, called Click Sand. Click Sand. And okay. sort of talking about the dangers of so much of the online marketing that's that's done. Ah, uh, oh, but that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's, you might think it's sort of a, a little bit of a rant, but it wasn't really. It was really very well-reasoned, very insightful analysis of sort of the ways that, the or sort of the, let's say the inauthentic behaviors that, that, that we adopt, many of us adopt when we're using online marketing. And how it doesn't really square with with what's really required to build, you know, natural, lasting relationships with customers. Really interesting. And you said that one's not out yet. Not out yet. I don't think the author's okay. name is Bill Troy, but okay. um, yeah, Bill will be a guest here on Accelerate. People can catch my conversation with him. So that that one was was quite interesting. I'm trying to think if there's any others that I've read. Nothing that really sticks out. Um, other than that one, I've got to start. I've got to pick it up. I'm reading just on the fiction standpoint, a Moscow gentleman. Um, but that's there are probably things that relate to business and sales in there. But I'm not <laughs> reading it with. But I'm not reading it with that lens. Okay, so what's is it a you know espionage fiction, general fiction? Yeah, it's a general fiction. It's not espionage, but it's uh, sort of post World War One and somebody that was a a gentleman, so of a higher class in Russia. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, almost like being under house arrest in this the Hotel Metropole in Moscow. Interesting. And I think the things that's interesting and sort of inspiring about the book is how he continues to adapt to this the greater and greater confinement that he has with a lot of grace and curiosity. And just even though the walls maybe get smaller where he was allowed to move and how much he was able to uh, kind of maneuver in the hotel. Um, his world didn't get smaller. And so it's, it's a, it's a good story. I'm not done with it yet, but it's uh it's, it's a good story. All right. Well, one we'll talk about in a future episode, because I'm just in the midst of reading it and it's when I tell people I'm reading it. That's always sort of like, what? And a book by an author named Paul Bloom, and the the name of the book is Against Empathy: mm. The Case for Rational Compassion. 
Mm. And yeah, it's it's so far what I've read through it is you know analysis of sort of two sort of primary forms of of empathy and why one of them in particular is is actually he considers destructive and leads to bad decisions and and the other that's that's uh, one that that we should practice and perhaps how we could be replaced the destructive one with what he calls rational compassion. So, mm. um, but yeah, you know, sales are always talking about, you know, we need to have empathy for our, our customers, which is true, but what type of empathy do we need to have? And this is so far an interesting book. So I'll report on that when I finish it. I am looking forward to it. Yeah. All right. Well, Bridget, we've run well, out of time. And I know you need to, you need to run off. I've got, as I often do, just things kind of lined up. So wonderful to talk to you, as always. As always. And uh, friends, thank you for spending this time with us today. And uh, come back, make sure to join us next Friday. Another great episode. We'll hopefully have more questions. And uh, we've also got some special guests going to join us in the weeks coming up. So people should make sure to come back and catch that. So, uh, Bridget, till next time. Until next time. Have a great one. All right. Bye. 